Denver, Seattle after the bye. Games that we we should win. I feel like that you know we have the talent to win. I, I trust that this team is going to pull it together, especially offensively. I, I think that um, everything we've seen is self-inflicted, but that doesn't mean it's going to correct itself. You know, we got to come out there, and I think guys are motivated to do that after watching the film today. So I'm excited about how we can finish this season and what this Vikings team can do. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Mark Rosen back with you as your as your host. And, and Kirk, you know, there are games that uh, you win convincingly, you lose some the same way, and then the vast majority in the NFL are kind of like Sundays in Kansas City. What you know, you go down either way to the final play. What what's the most maddening aspect of what happened on Sunday? Yeah, anytime you lose these close games, you go back and point to so many plays that if one of them goes your way and it didn't. But if it had gone our way, it may have been the difference. And um, I think about, you know, the, the two three-and-out drives in the fourth quarter. We've talked as a, as a uh, team how in the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter we have to be dynamite. You know, we talked about that in OTAs. We've got to be at our best in the last ten minutes of the, of the fourth quarter. And we said that even yesterday. Hey, best quarter of the season has got to be this quarter. And we started off great with a nice touchdown drive. But uh, we knew there was going to be more football left to be played. And so to go three-and-out twice – late in the game like that was very frustrating. I also thought the two-minute drill at the end of the half Mm -hmm. to get down there and have to kick a field goal was also a disappointment. I felt like we needed to come away with seven there some way, somehow. And when we didn't, going into halftime, I felt like that was points we left on the board. Um, You know, my slide on third down where I was a yard or two short, that was just a moment where you say, hey, if if they make a great play, uh, you got to tip your cap to them. But in a moment like that where you feel like I, I had the first down, I slid early thinking I had already gotten there, and you feel like you, you gifted them something. And so those are the plays that really drive you crazy uh, and obviously missed a few throws here and there. Well, bring up – you brought up the slide. Let's, let's uh, break it down just a little bit because are you trying – is your peripheral vision trying to catch – where the yard marker is? Because you're, yeah. you're not looking like on TV where we can literally see the yellow line where right. you need well, to yeah. be. So on third down, whenever we get a second down play, when the play ends, I immediately look to the sideline to see where the ball is being spotted and then where the first down marker is so I have a general idea. So I know if it's, is it four, five, six? So I kind of have that in my head. And um, and in that moment I looked, you know, I saw it was it was that medium range. And then, uh, you know, when I took off to run, I think sometimes when you're in the pocket, you got to remember you're, you're covering five yards of ground just to get back to the line of scrimmage. And sometimes you forget how far you've got to go just to get to the line of scrimmage, let alone get the first down. And so I felt like I had been, you know, running in such a way that I was there or, or right there. Um, but I did not peek over. Mm-hmm. It's a little easier to do that when you're closer to the sideline. But I didn't peek over. In hindsight, I should have. But really what I should have done is dive head first so that you're spotted further forward or just take the guy on, you know, and be a football player. I've done that before in the season a little bit. And it hasn't felt too good, but it's part of playing the position. So, uh well, they talk about football being the ultimate team game. And as you uh, looked at, as Mike Zimmer and the coaching staff looked at a film on Monday, you what offense, defense, special teams, coaching, uh, all of it kind of, all the aspects which helped kind of uh, kind of dictate the outcome of this football uh-huh. game, that it permeate the, the, the feeling in the locker room, that it wasn't just one thing, one, ha- one thing that happened. All areas of the game, there was one thing that happened that, yep. that helped break down the, the loss. Yeah, I think when you look at the wins we've had, I find myself a little bit like a broken record coming in and saying, team win. Everybody contributed. There was successful run game. We had play action passes. Our receivers made big plays. We protected well. Uh, defense made, made plays. Special teams helped us out. And you kind of say, boy, we won because everybody brought something to the table. 
And maybe this one was a loss where it's kind of the same thing. We lost because every one of us at some point didn't quite, you know, make the play to push us over the edge. And uh, and I think you can point to a lot of different things. And, and I think kind of we all as a team just felt like there was a frustration that each of us didn't make the play when we wanted to. And um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a team loss in a way. If, if there's such a thing as a team win, it was a team loss. Well, you were down 7 nothing after a great throw and catch by Tyreek Hill, who could be an Olympic track star, I think. It was a, then you went on a 12-play, 75-yard drive, which resulted in a touchdown pass to B.C. Johnson, but also marked the end of a very short day for Adam Thielen. Back to pass. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! It's B.C. Ola B.C. Johnson with a four-yard touchdown, and it's 7-6. Yeah, I was I was happy that he was willing to go and give it a shot. You didn't know uh, what it was going to do, and so we were ready, you know, for him to not be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but proud of him for giving the effort. And BC stepped up, Treddy stepped up, um, you know, Amir stepped up with some plays. So we got other guys that we have to have ready to roll. And yeah, our personnel's may have to vary with Adam out. Our our approach or plan may vary, and that's more the coach's role than mine. But. Uh, I thought, for the most part, we responded well from that standpoint. It was more unforced errors that, that held us back yeah. at times. I think if, if you look at, just purely look at the stat sheet, you see Laquan Treadwell becoming a prime target and, and Diggs with only one reception for four yards. You go, wait, how did this, how did this happen? Yeah, what's funny is both of uh, two of Treddy's catches, he is really not the option. I mean, it was, it was a deal where you go through your progression and everyone else is covered and, and you get him the ball. And uh, and so it, you never know who's going to get it when these, you call these plays. You know, you go through your reads and you never know who's going to get the ball. And so the stat line can sometimes say, oh, he was the hot hand or, oh, he was in the mm-hmm. game plan or they couldn't stop him. And it's like, well, sometimes it's just where do your reads take you? And um, and Treddy was the beneficiary this time uh, on a couple of plays. But, uh, you know, Amir had a big time play that gets called back. And so sometimes penalties can nullify a guy who is having a hot game and making big plays. So. Um, you know, it, like I said, it's kind of an every everything bagel when it comes to what happened yesterday. Uh, the uh, the bread and butter for this football team has been the running of Dalvin Cook, and it just really never got in track against the, the Chiefs. Uh, it, it's really, I guess, what has been a porous run defense for the Chiefs. Were they doing right. something in particular to take it away, or was it just execution? Yeah, I, I go back to, you know, talking about unforced errors. I think maybe that was some, let's give credit to the Chiefs. They, they were tough to block. They, you know, flew fast to the run. They stayed in their gaps. They didn't give up any home runs in the run game. And uh, some of that is they were tough to block and tough to stop. And, and, um, and so I, I do want to credit the Chiefs for the way they, they did kind of shut down a run game at times. And, and Dalvin still had a few explosive runs, but we just didn't quite have the same level of uh, consistency that we've had the last several weeks. And boom, Bailey's kick a little on the short side. Hardman from the goal stripe near side. He's to the 5, to the 10, to the 15. Gets the 20. Sprints by Kentrell Brothers. He dropped it, and the Vikings have recovered it at the 39-yard line. McCole Hardman got careless with the ball, and looky here. (laughs) Holton Hill comes out of the scrum with the ball. Holton Hill unseen for the first half of the season due to suspension. He has the fumble recovery. In starting the second half, he got a break on his special teams. Kansas City turned the ball over. The Vikings recovered Holton Hill. I think recovered the ball. Then you converted a, a 16-yard death pass. That we'll hear from him in, the, in our next segment with Amir Abdullah. But unfortunately, he missed the extra point, so that point kind of lingered there. Again, right. adding to the, 
the frustration of the day was 16 to 10 instead of 17 to 10. Right. But uh, nice execution on that drive. Well, that turnover was huge. I mean, when, when you're uh, able to get the ball in plus territory, having a short field uh, in a 10-10 game, I mean, that, that was a big deal and gave us a great shot. And I was proud of our offense for being able to capitalize on the turnover and get a touchdown. Third and three. Cousins back to pass. Fires right. Caught Abdullah. 10, 5, touchdown! to the lead 16-10 and for Amir Abdullah that's his first touchdown since December 31st of 2017 when he was with the Lions against the Packers so that was a that was a key play and then our ability to handle it and respond was key and um you know we had a we had a really good stretch there uh you know starting the second half and then into early in the fourth quarter where we did some good things we just you know, it's a four-quarter game, and we didn't hang on. Had to be stunning for you sitting on the sidelines watching any team, anyone, any, any time run 91 yards for a touchdown, but it was a shocker. Uh, and the Vikings could have gone one of two ways there, but you responded uh, with, with a terrific drive. But first of all, that 91-yard run, that was something you just don't see ever. No, and not against our defense. They do such a good job of eliminating explosive plays and making you earn it all the way down the field and then being very stingy when you do get in the red zone. So... You know, they made a great play again. You got to credit a guy who's able to run away from an entire defense. You know, credit him and his speed and his playmaking ability. And they made some unbelievable plays. Sammy Watkins had two seemingly one-handed catches, and um, you know, they they did some good things. Well, let's take us through the uh, the fourth quarter drive because you did come back and, and you did it in a big way. It was a nice eleven play, seventy-five yard drive. The screen pass was a big part of that as well. You you had Irv Smith for fifteen yards and a second and ten, and that kind of got things rolling for you. Yeah, it did. That was a big pass play for us. Great job by Irv being able to win on that route and uh, make a great catch. We continue to be excited about what he can do, and I think as a rookie we're continuing to grow his plate, if you will, of what we're going to ask him to do. Um, and then it was a big play by Dalvin on another second and long mm-hmm. to, to have an inside zone to the left to cut it back right and get us another first down. That was outstanding. And um, and then the third down, you know, conversion for a touchdown was big. Yeah, before that, you had that screen to Cook and got you down to the six-yard line, which was yeah. a, a big play, which you went to a number of times as well. Yeah, Dalvin continues to be a special receiver on screens. Um, he had, I think, two yesterday. CJ had one, and then Irv had one that was called back. But all of those were big plays for us. And uh, I continue to say, hey, you know, these guys in the screen game are doing a great job, so let's think of ways to get in the ball. And, and, um, and great job by Dalvin getting us down there. You mentioned that. Kyle Rudolph was not your first option on the touchdown pass. It was third and goal at the three, but that culminated a big drive and put the Vikings back up 23-20. to 20. It's empty backfield. Back to pass. Fires to the end zone. Caught! Touchdown! Kyle Rudolph gives the Vikings the lead. It is 22-20 Minnesota. Yeah, it was outstanding. I think the Chiefs only had 10 guys on defense on the field. Oh, was that, that right? Play, which, which didn't hurt, but... Uh, <laughs> um, no, the play was designed to go elsewhere, and I went through my progressions and just didn't feel like they were open. And my eyes took me to Kyle over the middle. He did a great job finding a soft spot in the zone coverage, and um, you know we got him for a touchdown. That was a huge play because I think all three of our touchdowns were third downs, uh, and so those are big. You know, because you're kicking field goals in all three of those possessions if right. you're not hitting it. So to hit those three for third down conversions and touchdowns uh, were, were big in the game. What in particular, Kirk, uh, frustrated you in those those last two, three and outs? Because they, it seemed like the Chiefs did sniff out that, that the uh, screen pass, which had been so effective in a couple of those uh, 
a couple of those sequences as well. Yeah, screen passes can go one of two ways usually, and, and we've been kind of on the feast side of it as of late, but you can also be on the famine side where they sniff it out and you end up having to dirt the ball or they make the tackle for a loss. And and that uh, late drive, that's what, exactly what they did. They they were there in position. We, we weren't able to get a, a man out to block him, and he made the tackle, and it was a loss. And so that one was tough, um, but you kind of understand that's the risk-reward of screens. And, um, and then we just, you know, we had a, a run on a third down where we weren't able to get through and convert. Um, so it was just a variety of, of plays that, uh, you know, just for different reasons on those six plays we had in the last two drives that we didn't do well enough to uh, to come out with a win. We'll stick around later in the show. We will preview next Sunday's game in Dallas against the Cowboys. But coming up next, we'll have a chat with Amir Abdullah. Stay with us. Under center with Kirk Cousins. When you hear the term all-purpose, I think, Kirk, this fits our, our, our guest today. Amir Abdullah, a big part of the success of the Vikings so far, all-purpose back, kick returner, kind of do-everything guy. Yeah, I'll intro him a little bit before we uh, have him join the show and answer some questions. But uh, first of all, tremendous teammate. Uh, I got the call last November that we had signed him, and I was so excited because I'm from the Big Ten. Amir played in the Big Ten. I watched him play. I knew what he could do. And uh, I was so excited to get a guy of his versatility, as you said. He can do so much for our offense, for our special teams. And uh, he's been a joy to have here. The only disappointment has been we haven't gotten him involved more. You know, there have been mm-hmm. games where I think we expected to do a lot with him. And then the flow of the game, we were running the ball well, and we just kind of stuck with it and never got him the opportunities. But uh, he shows time and again when we get him the ball that good things happen. There's a couple of guys like that in our team that we want to get involved more. And so, Amir, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Uh- I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, you had an awesome touchdown yesterday. Let's just talk about that play first and foremost. Uh, third down, you've been a great third down back really your whole career uh, because you are so talented in protection. You're smart. You can see the blitzes, and you also can run great routes, catch the football. Uh, I thought you made a really good catch on that play, kind of underrated how tough of a catch that was. Uh, but they dropped you in coverage, and you made the play. It was good to see you get going. How would you feel about getting in there and making that play? Yeah, like you said, it was a windy day. <laughs> And all the throws to the flats, they were they were tougher than what the eye could see a lot of times. So I'm glad that uh, the timing worked out. Once I saw the safety kind of run out of there, I was like, I'm hoping that Kirk is looking at me. When I turned around, we locked eyes. I knew it was a touchdown. So <laughs> it was it was a good feeling, uh, definitely at that point in the game as well. But um, touchdowns never feel as good when you don't get the win. And we had a big third down uh, where he was the feature. Um, receiver on the play out of the backfield and did a tremendous job getting separation, caught the ball over the middle. It ended up being for naught because it was called back on a penalty. But that play uh, just, again, showed a flash of what he's capable of. And uh, also as a kick returner, I thought, uh, you know, we had touchbacks last this last week, but the Detroit game, I remember, you got a few opportunities and you really gave us great field position. Have you been a kick returner going back to college your whole career? Whole career. My okay. first touchdown ever at the University of Nebraska was against Fresno State and Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. They had a good team. They were wow. like one of those oh, upset type of, you know, yep. Division One lower tier type of teams. They came into Lincoln, and we had a good team at the time, like Prince of Mucamara, Alfonso Denard, uh, Levante David, great yep. defense. Will Jared Compton. Craig. Will Compton, of course. <laughs> Uh, throw the bones but um <laughs> we were down 28 to 29 I was a freshman and I took it back to win the game walk off uh, kickoff return my freshman year wow and uh, I knew that from that point on I always wanted to be that guy Don, uh, Dante Hall was a guy that I really looked up to uh, growing up so wow being the kickoff returner is something that's kind of in my identity in when I step on the field well talk about you, know, you mentioned Nebraska talk about going way back to your days growing up in Alabama 
getting recruited, uh, what that process was like getting to Nebraska from Alabama, Man. and then also talk a little bit about track and your background in track yeah. and the speed that you have. Because some guys have football speed. Mm -hmm. You have speed speed <laughs> that, appreciate that can, that. That can appreciate translate that. to track people. So uh, talk a little about your journey from Alabama, getting to Nebraska, and the sport you, you, you chose. Yeah, um, I'm the youngest of nine. I have uh, six sisters, two brothers, um, born and raised in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. I was very lightly recruited. Going into my senior year, I had Tuskegee, and wow. Southern Miss was just interested. Why do you think that <laughs> is? Was it the program you're playing at, or an uh, injury, or you're a little undersized? I think it was a combination of me being undersized, and a lot of people didn't really want to believe what they were seeing. And also, the school I went to wasn't a big high school, but yeah. we played in a big fishbowl, but we were the small fish in okay. that pond, you know? Uh, we played against Hoover. I'm sure yeah. you guys oh, yeah. heard of Hoover, Alabama, Vestavia. Some of the top schools come on that area, but we were the smallest. We had gotcha. just meet, met the student requirement to join 6A. You know, we had like two <laughs> kids over a thousand in our school, so it's like, okay, you can be a six wow. So a lot of us on our team, we had to go both ways. So um, some some plays, I wouldn't be playing running back. I was more recruited as a DB. In fact, wow. Nebraska is the only running back offer I actually had. Which was know. part of the reason you went there? That's one of the reasons I went there. Uh, and Coach Bo Pelini, uh, he was just a, a great leader. You know, when he yeah. came um, and recruited me in Alabama, I just knew that he had an opportunity to make me better as a young man. Yep. And um, it worked out. Uh, Nebraska is my love, man. That's one of my homes. Yeah. Well, now you chose number eight. I were number eight. You were number eight in Nebraska. Yeah. How'd you get that number? It's just a unique number for running uh, back. If one of my best friends, he was actually uh, murdered when I was younger. Okay. He wore number eight. He uh, was going to go to Central Florida to play. Wow. I was number two in high school, uh, so I just took his number just to kind of live cool. out you know, his dream that he had to play college football. That's cool. You don't see a lot of running backs with a number eight. So right. you go to the Big Ten, looking back. Thrilled you picked the Big Ten. Thrilled you moved all the way from the Southeast. Because a lot of people, you know, trump at the SEC. You right. left the SEC country to go play in the Big well, Ten. Well, I have to be honest. I thought I was going to the Big 12. <laughs> That's true. When I Good committed, point. we were going to the Big 12. And then, like, a week later after signing day, it was like, we're going to the Big wow. Ten. Which I didn't really mind. Because, you yeah. know, big, it was either the Big Ten or SEC really coming out in the championships for those, those years for a long time, Ohio State. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, it's going to give me a good opportunity. And it's going to be different. I've never seen the Midwest like that. Mm -hmm. And... um I, could, I wouldn't change a single thing. Uh, the venues I got to play in, Ohio State is so special, Penn State, uh, Michigan State. I split with State, so, you know, that I'm, I feel good in this conversation right now. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> you know, but um, it's just a special place to play at the University of Nebraska. Now, do you get back to either Nebraska or Alabama much? I mean, those are two unique places. Yes, you don't hear of a lot of NFL yes. guys spending <laughs> significant time in either Nebraska or Alabama. So what is your rhythm like for going back to where you came from, and where else do you like to spend your time? Yeah, um, my mom and dad currently still live in Birmingham, Alabama. So, of course, I go back to see them anytime I can get an opportunity. I own real estate in, in Nebraska, so I go back for that. And, sure. of course, alumni, game day, it's always a good time to go back and see people. And of all the schools out there, the alumni base in Nebraska, oh, I'm man, thinking. Oh, strong. They, they, they're pretty kind to former players like yourself. It's great because you can go back and you see guys who actually won championships in the 90s, and they give you the same respect that you know wow. that I give them. So it's, it's, it's like a brotherly love. But I live in California. Um, I do a little production on the side. I cool. want to be a director when I get done playing. Uh, so I spend a lot of time there in the offseason filming things and creating content. Talk a little mo bit more about that. Obviously, that's a unique post-career goal. Not a lot of guys would be doing that, let alone pursuing it even while they're playing so they get a foot in the door. Yeah. 
Talk about what that's like, how you even start, where do you start, and maybe what types of production you want to get into. Yeah, uh, so I start off just investing investing in films. Okay. Uh, so currently I've executive produced three films. One we just got picked up on Netflix. It's called Hell on the Border. It's about um, the original cowboys and one specific guy who fought through being a slave at one point hmm. to being a sheriff of a certain town and defending off a lot of rebels. It's, uh, it's going to air in, uh, on Netflix in December, so I'm proud about wow. that product, that project. How far back does that go? Was that last off season? Uh, that two, was two off seasons. Off seasons okay, ago. so it takes a little that. while from mm-hmm. when you put it together. Yeah, to... uh, it takes a little while. Another film we're working on is called La Flamme Rouge. We got into Sundance, which is a very big film festival. Wow. Uh, I have a lot of friends who work in the film industry, so I, they're helping me along the way. Other, you know, other than the other side around, you know, I'm I'm still learning. I'm still getting my foot in the door. Great. Um, and currently, right now, I'm actually working on a small TV segment called Sunday Dinner, okay. which is a roundtable uh, discussion, kind of like Red Table Talk you see with Jada Pinkett mm-hmm. Smith, where we allow people to join a community and openly express a lot of hot button topics that we wouldn't do in front of each other. Yeah. You know, so around Sunday dinner. So, I, like I said, I love to just create content and create um, communion. But like amongst a, people, like a good football team, you have to surround yourself with good people. How, Absolutely. How, how, yeah. how did you know you're with the right group uh, that this was going to be kind of catapult to you where you want to be years from now? Um, I would say just my siblings. They, they, they've yep. always uh, taught me to vet out the people. You know, you, you know the people. You can kind of feel the energy of the people who have your best interest. And um, at the end of the day, rely on yourself. Sometimes, like, people don't want to embrace that. You have to rely on yourself. But when you are filling yourself with, you know, the everyday conscious habits, being um, disciplined and relying on yourself, the people around you start to shift. And they start to put themselves in the position that you need to be. And I think that's uh, something that's really special that my dad taught me. You know, you can't control the people outside of you. When you control yourself, the people will align themselves around you. And I've just been fortunate enough to have those experiences. Wow. Well, that I wish you all the best with that production career because that's going to be exciting to follow. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting stuff on Netflix, I mean, the potential <laughs> there incredible. for the future is incredible. Yeah. And I can only imagine all that you're learning in the process as you go, let exactly. alone if you know when you finish playing, you devote full time to it. So when you're not doing production in L.A. in the offseason and you have your, your day job of playing football, yeah. talk a little bit about your journey as an NFL player. Uh, like many of us, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, mm-hmm. you know, twists and turns. Talk about coming out, you know, being a highly ranked player, second round pick, going to Detroit and kind of your journey that has brought you now to where you are as a Viking uh, and, and had a now multiple year career. Yeah, I would say my career has taught me just to keep going, just keep going. Um, life can change tomorrow for the good or for the bad. And it's about how you attack whatever's coming next. For me, I came in, like you said, I was a second round pick, had a, a really good rookie year. Second year, second game, hurt for the season, mm-hmm. didn't have any production. Third year, you come in and, you know, coaches had changed. Actually, we, we start off one and seven my rookie year. Wow. Um, I hope you guys never experienced that kind yeah. of atmosphere. I've but been a NFL, part of three and 13 and four whew, and 12. It's, it's rough. And uh, you know? it starts, it's, it really gets to you. So I can only it's, imagine. Oh, man, it's, you know, it's rough. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the guys who brought me in were gone. And um, younger in my career, I used as use that as an excuse too many times. All oh, the guys who I who drafted me weren't there. So I kind of, you know, I feel like fell off a little bit in a lot of things that sure. I feel like I needed to stay on. And that's the roller coaster of the league that I appreciate now because now I'm in such a special place here with the team where I feel like we have a Super Bowl roster. As long as we just put things together, I think we can win any game that's in front of us. And it's it's inspiring to be around guys who just come in and work and they're just riding the wave of that day. I was, you know, when, when you play with a team that's, you know, so up and down sometimes, you're trying to project the future too much. 
But um, coming here with a team where they know every day can be a different challenge and we just come in, you attack that day, then the next day will come when it comes. It allows you to freely work and to have fun again. And uh, I think I'm just really having fun with the game again. Well, Rosie, when we first got Amir last November, I was saying how I was so excited that we picked him up. Uh, but then when we re-signed him this offseason, doubly excited because, again, people may say, well, we're not seeing him in there as much. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, well, that may be true. Again, what he's providing on some of these plays, like third down, is a game changer when he is in. But secondly, um, you know, his ability to provide depth. You know, again, we've talked about depth. Dalvin Cook, Alex Madison running the ball. It's rare to have those guys be able to go the whole season, you know, without any – anything coming up and so to have a guy who can step in immediately and not only protect run routes but run the football which as he alluded to his rookie year was you know showed he can do that yeah. going back to his Nebraska days in the Big Ten can do to know that hey we have a guy ready to go uh, as a quarterback it's just a tremendous comfort and makes a big difference for our offense and for our team and you don't seem to be getting frustrated because you're not getting as many touches no. any running back would want because you know what you're capable of doing in this, this league. I mean, this this opportunity, um, a lot of people can't see it from the outside in. You know, when you're a fan and you're not really living it, um, a lot of people want to guess, you know, is he frustrated or shouldn't he want more? Of course, you, you want to get in and you want to make plays, but you have to understand timing is everything. Like what Kirk said, you know, we have things dialed up every week. That's just how our offense is. And sometimes it plays for our, for our guys, sometimes it doesn't. And it's truly the special teams that who can galvanize and come together and really embrace that, that it may not be my week this week, but I'm still going to go hard for my team because I know we deserve to win every week, knowing how hard we go in. I, I embrace that. You know, I think that's going to set me up for life, you know, much more than just football. So, Well, a great example of that um, is yesterday or, uh, on, on Sunday in the game against the Chiefs, we had a play called for Amir. It was for Amir. Well, Laquan ended up getting the ball because the coverage they played took away Amir. Well, then after the game, I'm getting asked questions about, you know, why was Laquan the feature guy? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, well, he really wasn't. You know, when, when you call a play for a guy and the coverage takes it away, you go somewhere else. Exactly. And you don't predetermine where you're going to go. You react to the coverage. Rudy's touchdown, he was the third option on the play. And in a lot of, a lot of ways, we thought he was kind of the one guy who probably wouldn't get the ball. With the way they defended it, he got the ball. And so you have your intentions going into a game, and then you have to react to how the game flows. And uh, just knowing what Amir has shown for years in this league, but every day in practice right now, uh, you know that at any moment he can strike in a special way that's going to make a major difference for our for our season in in a, in a tight game. And you want to keep playing for X number of years as you continue your off the field. Of course, uh, of course, this is still an yeah. important facet for you. Of course, I mean football has always been number one. It's always come the most natural to me. Um, like I said, I'm gonna play this game until I'm not having fun anymore. And I think a lot of people need to attack life that way. You know, I see a lot of people in positions where they're working and they're just dreading life. But I'm enjoying it every single day I come in, and I'm doing what I love every single day. So I come in with a smile. It's not always the best days, but, you know, having teammates like Kirk, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Well, we're going to take a break right now. We want to talk to you more about some of your off-the-field activities as well, some special trips you've taken, and, and what's in store for the future for Amir Abdullah as well. We'll be right back with Under Center with Kirk Cousins.
Welcome back to Under Center with Kirk Cousins, Mark Rosen, your host, and a very interesting conversation, Kirk, with Amir Abdullah, a well-rounded young man who's uh, no doubt has got a lot going in his life. Well-rounded, well-spoken. Uh, there's a lot there, and that's why it's great to have him on a show like this, so he can maybe go a little deeper than just people watching him from a distance, running the football, and returning kicks. But uh, Amir, you went on a trip in the off season to Washington D.C. I lived in Washington D.C. for six years. I think it's a special place. Uh, you went there with a specific purpose uh, through the Vikings. Tell us about that trip, uh, what you learned, what it meant for you. Uh, it, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, um, myself and a couple other teammates had the opportunity to go to D.C. to visit the African American Museum as well as the Holocaust Museum. And it was just such a special trip. You know, obviously, um, going back and revisiting both of those histories meant a lot for the group. You know, we went there with Project Success. A lot of those kids hadn't even been out of the state of Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, excuse me, out of the wow. city, really. Mm-hmm. Um, just so just just to put them on a plane and to take them yeah. to the Capitol uh, meant a lot for them. It did a lot for their um, self-confidence. A lot of guys and, you know, girls who were in the group were saying, like, I've never been on a plane before. And just to think, you know, we travel back and forth in 48 hours on the plane like it's nothing you know and these kids they looked at a plane ride something that was so special um really was inspiring for me and um i had never been to the african-american museum before Mm. so just to see um the whole presentation is beautiful if you guys haven't been definitely to visit it how now they start you at the bottom on the ground Mm. level where um back to slavery times and they explain the, the atlantic slave trade and different you know formats that people don't always understand and different revolts that were going on and things that were happening at that time that you know a lot of people a lot of times we don't have the opportunity to dive into that history mm. and then you just see from level to level the history just gets better you go up and better and better now and in the design of the building do you actually go down into yeah. a basement first yeah and start with the farthest back history and yeah. then you go up floors and watch to the very the, top floor to the, modern the, times now yes. and uh yeah so they, they take you down and it's real dramatic where you know wow. every elevator you see where like shackles where you know it goes wow. from segregation where it says black and white you can see that there's painted on the wall then the next floor is like chains and the next floor is like a boat you know wow. that that really happened you know so mm. i mean it's 2019 sometimes you know things have gotten better socially in america but we still have to understand that history has still plays a part today with a lot of things that are rooted in, in our societies uh, subconsciously and um i think um just f- for those kids to see that um, resiliency of, you know, a culture of people from the bottom up gives a lot of those kids who are minorities in that group um, a lot of inspiration that, you yep. know, if, if I just stick with it, you know, and fight for it, people in my past have done it, I should carry the torch as well. Was, was there one exhibit or one moment you think that uh, resonated with these kids more than any other, uh, whether it be a Rosa Parks or MLK, whatever it may be? Yeah, I, I think the the uh, the toughest exhibit, but it, it hit the hardest, was Emmett Till's um, casket, oh. mm. where you go in there and um, they show you the film, obviously, of his mother and, you know, how distraught she was, you know, in the news, but she still made that brave move to have an open casket you know and to show the world what was happening and this wasn't a myth you know because a lot of times the media in that time and era they were spreading that you know this stuff isn't true it isn't really happening and i think that was a turning point in civil rights and just to see the actual casket it's like wow Mm. this is this is real history that we're experiencing i think those kids took it well when i was in dc for those six years that museum was being built I remember and that. It, it's yeah. prime real estate. It's right there mm-hmm. at the heart of the National Mall. It's a mm-hmm. great spot. They did a great job with it. Uh, but uh, my rookie year in Washington, I also went over to the Holocaust Museum, yeah. which is powerful as well. They did a phenomenal job with it. And um, as you go through the museum, you're kind of met with this question of how can this happen? 
I mean, how can this how can this many people be senselessly killed? How does someone you know not stop this sooner and speak up? And uh, the answer was, as the museum explains, is propaganda. Mm-hmm. They, they they spread propaganda before they did anything to uh, brainwash the people so that they would go along with it. And their point was, is we have to be discerning and not just believe what we hear, but ask questions. And secondly, uh, if we see propaganda, it's more harmful than we realize. And so not only the Holocaust Museum, but that African-American Museum, again, like you said, putting something out there and saying, this isn't a myth. It has happened. It's not okay. And then being able to inspire and educate people today in 2019 to know that this took place and should never happen again. Right. I think it's very powerful. And uh, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power as a football player. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power as a human being. And uh, those museums, uh, the way they educate and the knowledge they, they bring our next generation, it's going to make a big difference, I think, for our country. And so uh, it's great to see that you took that trip, that uh, I believe the Wolves were there and they yep. brought people mm-hmm. along. And so uh, just an outstanding thing. And I'd encourage anybody when they get to D.C. to, to go through the entire mall, but specifically those two museums. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, uh, a lot of people turned a blind eye, uh, in particular during the Holocaust. But it, it's great that you had a chance to take these kids to see history, literally see history in front of their eyes, and 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 uh, and understand uh, our place in it right now. Right. Yeah. So a tough transition from a, a <laughs> subject that weighty, which is a, a lot of what this podcast, you know, is about, right. is going beyond just football. You know, we talk about football mm-hmm. week long. We think it's helpful to get to know players on a different level. Uh, and along those lines, uh, I understand fashion is important to you. Something you enjoy, a passion of I yours. Do. I know Stefan Diggs has his own taste in fashion, which I guess I'll just leave it at. He has his own taste in fashion, yeah. and I don't know if a lot of other people follow his taste, but uh, it's entertaining, to say the least. Talk a little bit about uh, fashion and then kind of that story about the do-rag talks on Instagram and how that yeah. got started when yeah. you walked into the Walmart. So I, I am. I'm a big fan of fashion. Um, I also want to open up a fashion boutique in L.A. with a buddy that I know. It's a lot that I want to do. I know. You need that movie on I'm, Netflix I'm to hit big, right? and then we exactly, can do that. Exactly. I need the capital. I need the capital. <laughs> uh, one step at a time, you know, but it doesn't hurt to write it down. But um, uh, I love fashion. I love putting things together. I think it's a lot about personal expression, you know, how how you're feeling. A lot of people aren't that interested in fashion, so they'll never look at it that way. But um, I like to rock a couple looks, too, that, you know, make a couple people look twice. Like, (laughs) what what is he wearing? I I think it's more about who I am and the confidence over time that I've built in myself, which is important for a lot of people. You know, I think that no matter who you are, you should be confident in yourself because, you know, you're here and you mean something to someone. And, mm. you know, and uh, I think fashion gives you the opportunity to express that. Now with Durag Talks. Um, <laughs> Durag Talks is um, this video blog that I do um, every other morning on Instagram just to give people some morning motivation. They started because uh, one day uh, I wore a Durag to Walgreens and the lady told me that that wasn't fashion. And I think she was saying it just because she didn't understand the, the cultural meaning of a Durag mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. someone African-American. And uh, it's really just to keep your hair. I have dreadlocks, so just to keep your hair (laughs) together at night. And um, I kind of took that, and I was like, well, she's judging me on my appearance. So what I wanted to do was wear a do-rag every morning and give some inspirational and intellectual conversation to people to break that stigma of what the do-rag may look like and just accepting people culturalistically with how they display themselves. Well, I don't know the first thing about fashion. For <laughs> for uh, for away games, my wife dresses me. Wow! So I come home from our walkthrough Saturday morning. Well, thank you. <laughs> my compliments to my wife. But hey. when I come home from our walkthrough, I have about two hours uh, to change, see my kids, and then head back to the bus and get on the bus and go to the away game. And uh, she'll have my outfit laid out for me. And so she makes it real easy. And uh, I don't know the first thing, but usually when 
she dresses me, I get compliments. And then when I dress myself, <laughs> it's a disaster. Yeah. Uh, so there are some days I leave the house for work and she said, are, are you serious? Yeah. I said, well, I was, but now I'm feeling self-conscious about it. Right. So the one thing I do love about fashion is it would seem that there are no rules. It's pretty individual. Uh, and so I like that, but then, of course, when it comes to me, somehow I still find a way to break the, <laughs> break funny. the rules, even though there shouldn't be any rules. I still find a way to break them. So. We're here with Amir Abdullah, and uh, you're also, besides fashion, uh, you're also a big NBA basketball fan, yes. in particular an L.A. Laker fan. And uh, is there still there's <laughs> yes, room sir. on the bandwagon now that LeBron and Anthony Davis are together? Uh, well, all of our applications have been, you know, they've expired. They've They're been off exhausted. to a good start, you right? You know what I mean? <laughs> applications had to go in in 2018, you know what I'm saying? It's over now. It's over now. We're off to a good start. Uh, it's been a long time since you can say that about the Lakers. So, um, shout out to Minnesota for actually letting the Lakers go out to L.A. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, right. Right. Way Welcome. back to Sid yeah. Hartman days. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> yes. Been a Laker fan my entire life. I'm from Alabama, so I didn't have uh, teams to really root for. That's us. fair. I'll yeah. give him that. Um, connection with a childhood friend who was an agent of Nick Van Exel. Um, uh, got me some tickets to a Memphis Grizzly game against um, the Lakers. Memphis Grizzlies drove up from Birmingham to Memphis. Wow. Kobe dropped like forty, and I was like, you mm, know what? Over. I like this. I think I'm a Lakers fan. And <laughs> do you get to the Staples Center when you're there in the off season? I and try, go to a game man. From time to time. The tickets since LeBron's since got LeBron, in the city, yeah. it, the tickets are crazy. Traffic yeah. is even worse. Yep, it's you get a way. better view on TV. Then, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to get quality seats in the Staples Center, it's like. Five grand. Yeah, it's like, well, they do play at Target Center right here. You can probably find That's time they, to go. They don't come until March. I've already oh, checked. No. I've already checked. <laughs> oh, no. The Lakers yeah. don't come until March? Yeah. That's I'll, crazy. March. I'll be, I'll be in warm weather yeah. by that time. <laughs> That's funny. Now, t we didn't hit on your track career. We've had a few uh, players come in here. Kyle Rudolph is an example. He had a prolific basketball career. Could have played major Division One college basketball. Uh, we've had a couple other guys who had had the option to play other sports, chose football. Obviously, if they're sitting here in this chair, it worked out for them, like yourself. But talk about your track career, um, going back to high school, but then being recruited and the decision of how, how to fit that in with football going yeah. forward. So uh, track, uh, I was kind of a late bloomer in track. I didn't have great technique. Uh, I just got out there and ran. But um, we had one kid in my high school. He actually ran the Olympics a couple of years. His name's Aaron Ernest, went to LSU, uh, ran 9.98 in high school. Jeez. Yeah, super fast. Alabama was a pretty fast state. Was he ahead of you at the school, or was he oh, the same yeah. year? Uh, no, it was the same year. Same oh, year. so he you were actually able from, to. Actually from Katrina. So he you weren't even there. the fastest guy at your no, high school? No, I wasn't even, like, probably the oh, fourth man. fastest guy in my high school. We had three guys in our 4 by one team all go run. I was first leg, so, you know, I tell you, a lot of guys were fast. But, um, wow. Uh, started to get better. I had a really good start. So in 100, I was a 10-6 guy. Uh, long jump was probably my best. I was a 24-2 guy in long jump, which is pretty good with my height. You know, I wasn't really, you know, I couldn't really stretch out to steal some inches. Um, but when I got to college, uh, the first indoor season, they, they were kind of letting me run a little bit, but I hurt my hamstring my freshman year, and Coach Bo Polina was like, You're it's done, done. Yeah. it's done. Sure. But uh, track was definitely one of my loves. Um, I probably need to get back out there, out there a little bit more this off season, just to, you know, make sure I'm getting older, I'm getting a little <laughs> bit older. Make sure the wheels are still running like they used to. So, so in Nebraska, were they planning to have you run the 60, the 60. and the long jump? 60 uh, long jump. We had a guy that was really, really good. Okay, so it's gonna be the 60. Uh, some meets he was gonna do triple jump, and then that's when I was gonna fill in and do long jump. But yeah. uh, we had a guy who was like a 25 and a half foot long jumper. Boom. So yeah. That's 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 different there. So that's outstanding. Yeah. Well, Amir, uh, as we close up, uh, can you talk about kind of your thoughts now going forward the rest of the year? We got seven games left. We got a big road game this week against Dallas. 
with everybody losing in the division on Sunday, yeah, we're pretty much you know right back where we started last week uh, before the Chiefs game. Kind of talk about your thoughts on the team and the season as we get to the back half of it. Um, of course, coming off a tough loss, um, one thing I like about this team is how we bounce back from losses. And um, you, you never feel good about a loss, but yesterday I was inspired by how this team fought to the end. And that's telling me um, when we get down to uh, nut cutting time here, with, you know, we got some good big games coming up Dallas this week. Denver, Seattle after Dubai, games that we we should win. I feel like that you know we have the talent to win. I, I trust that this team is going to pull it together, especially offensively. I, I think that um, everything we've seen is self-inflicted, but that doesn't mean it's going to correct itself. You know, we got to come out there, and I think guys are motivated to do that after watching the film today. So I'm excited about how we can finish this season and what these Vikings teams can do. Uh, that's, a gr- that's a great summary. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show, Amir. Thanks, really Amir. appreciate you. you really as a person, as a player, you got a lot going on, a bright future. <laughs> Excited for you. And uh, let's get it done the second half of the year. Yep. Thank you. back to Under Center with Kirk Cousins and Kirk uh, really an interesting conversation with Amir Abdullah fascinating young man he's got his head on straight and uh, yeah. uh, you talk about a well-rounded individual I'm sure right. a lot of guys in the locker room are like that but man he's got life after football kind of nailed right now yeah well-rounded well-spoken he's got a plan he's going after it and um, a man with a plan that's that's a, <laughs> that's a good man so uh I'm excited for his future, but excited for his future with the Minnesota Vikings and uh, looking forward to getting him the football here in the in the near future. Well, if misery loves company, all the NFC North teams lost on Sunday. Uh, when you lose and then the NFC North loses, I guess it it helps a little bit. You know, you feel like you're right back where you started, but, uh, um, you know, it would have been obviously nice to get a win and then, and then take advantage of the fact that the other three teams lost. But... Uh, if anything, we just move forward. Uh, Coach Zimmer kind of made the point in the locker room after the game that uh, everything's still in front of us. Uh, three losses is is not going to derail this this season. Uh, it's one game, and um, the key is that it doesn't turn into more. You mm-hmm. know, and and so we have to stop it at the pass, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Well, truth in advertising, uh, this show we're, we're recording before the Dallas Giants game uh, on the road in New York. Uh, but generally speaking, again, under the lights, prime time. In Dallas against the Cowboys, a team you're very familiar with, having played them a number of yeah. times when you're with Washington. Yeah, I've been down to Dallas now, I think six times. This will be my seventh time going down there and played them, you know, over a dozen times and playing every single game, but but prepared for them and and uh, you know they're a, they're a team that's um, got a lot of star power, a lot of big names on offense and defense. Obviously, you know, being the the Dallas Cowboys, you hear a lot about them throughout the year and. Um, you know their their system has been there for a while and with coach Marinelli but then they also have some new influence um, from Chris Richard come f- from Seattle so uh, I think they're a really really stout defense with a lot of athleticism great players at at all levels of the defense in terms of pass rushers linebackers and cover guys so it'll be a good challenge for us especially in their place and um, you know we can't play them till Sunday night so what we got to do is have a great week of preparation starting now through uh, through Sunday. It doesn't always happen, but I think we saw an example of it with, with Baltimore and the Ravens against New England, a, a team that really jacked up the play on their home field on a you know, a prime time game, and maybe you have to sometimes survive that first couple punches. But it's, how important is it for this team to get off to an early start and take the lead on that scoreboard, especially in the road to maybe take Dallas's momentum a little bit away and, and, and the fans' momentum as well? Yeah, a fast start is important in all games, um, but especially on the road, and especially when this past week we didn't have that fast start and we saw what it did for us. It kind of had us playing from behind and playing catch up and feeling like the rest of the game we didn't have the. Uh, 
we weren't taking the fight to them as much as we wanted. And in some of our better games this year, we've started very fast. And so that'll be a huge point of emphasis to come out swinging right away and, uh, you know, get up ahead so we can, you know, feel like we're in control of the game. How's the locker room uh, hanging together right now, and and you in particular dealing with uh, the losses that you say do happen uh, with the National Football League? Yeah, you know, this was one that hurt, um, but it's a resilient group, and, uh, you know, we've played a lot of football together, and we understand what we're up against, and um, we knew going into the season, you know, you're going to have a few few games a year that are going to really test you as a man, and uh, you accept it, and you learn from it, and you move on, and um, there's... You know, it's a week-to-week league where if you suddenly go and win the next one, we've learned how quickly you know the the emotions can can swing and change. So we just know we got to go down to Dallas and get the job done one way or another, and that's really where our focus remains right well, now. Well, and again, the perception outside looking in, I know you you've done a really good job of of keeping your, yourself away from the noise. But it's amazing you win NFC Player of the Month, Offensive Player of the Month, and all of a sudden you lose a game and people are saying, "What's wrong with Kirk Cousins?" Yeah. I mean, it happens. Uh, that's the natural reaction that 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 occurs in in any. Yeah, it's it's context. such a week to week league. You know, I think people try to string together a narrative of oh they are this now, and it's it's really no. I mean, if if a defense comes out. And surprises us with a look or something it can change if if um you know one player ends up having a really great day and and shuts down a certain part of our offense then we have to change and adapt so there is no identity you know that you totally lean on I think you expect to be multiple you expect to use different players you have to react to injuries and different setbacks and penalties and things that happen to affect uh, what your plan was and uh week to week it'll be totally different and whatever we need to do to win the game is what we're going to do no more, no less, necessarily, and um, and so it, it can change week to week. All right, Kirk, well, best of luck Sunday night in Dallas against the Cowboys, and uh, appreciate Amir Abdullah stopping by as well. You've been listening to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Have a great night, everyone.